ThinkBox Radio, news, tips, and stories from America's coolest college innovation center. We're coming to you from Sears ThinkBox at Case Western Reserve University. Our goal is to share the magic that happens here and inspire your own maker dreams. I'm Robert Smith, your host. Our producer is Alex Zinni. And today, we are excited to welcome to the show, Kiju Lee. She's the Nord Distinguished Assistant Professor in Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering at the Case School of Engineering. Cooler than that... She's a robotics expert, and she's doing exciting work with 3D printers and fabrication machines here at ThinkBox. Kiju imbues robots with remarkable capabilities like artificial intelligence, even empathy. Her latest creation to make news is Woody, a social robot knows pretty much how you're feeling right now. Kiju and her robotics team have trained Woody to read about 3,500 facial expressions faster and more accurately than any robot before. That's less than the 10,000 expressions you're capable of, but more than your average couch potato is going to notice. In other words, if you're feeling blue, Woody likely has a clue. She's also designed robots that may be handy on space flights because they're light and adaptable, or in the operating room because they can help perform precise surgical procedures. Kiju sees the days when humans and robots routinely work side by side. To start this show, we want to take you to a setting where you'll often find Kiju Lee in front of one of the 3D printers at ThinkBox. Are you working with material scientists? So we started working with the material scientists rather recently because we see the potential of how this kind of research can grow, grow and then advance the field. So I started working on those who has expertise to engineer the materials that has the desired properties and also started working with those who can computationally model, model the complex structures and also working on those uh, people with expertise who can embed specific kind of you know, capabilities into the engineered materials. Okay, excellent. So there's cool partnerships evolving. And we should point out, even though this is a multi-million dollar 3D printer, we passed some much cheaper 3D printers on the way in, and yep. Kiju pointed out she uses those with her students because they can use them for free. Yep. So we're always interested in affordability here. Exactly. Even in robotics, mm-hmm. it's still a makerspace. Yep. In ThinkBox, even this machine is free, except of the material cost. So okay. that makes our research to advance faster than other places. Excellent. Yep. Okay, we're going to go to a quieter space now and learn more about how this is done. So let's start with Woody. What do you mean by a social robot? And what do you think robots like Woody are going to be able to help us with? So social robots are basically the robots that uses social cues or human behavior or the, the social interactions as a control inputs and outputs, not like using a keyboard or other types of sensors that uh, the robots uses to generate its, its activities. Social robots are using human uh, gestures, voice command, or other types of like other types of social interactions as the inputs and outputs of the, the robot. Well, with Woody now, he is um, he's looking at my face and understanding how I feel. Yep. How does that happen? So basically, we have um, we work with thousands of facial images that is labeled by humans. So we work with the human's perception of those facial expressions. Those images are categorized into like six or seven different emotions. 
then you train the machine so that that can detect the patterns of those like you know those images and then classify them autonomously so by using that trained machine the woody is able to detect any new inputs of those facial images coming in and then it can classify into those emotional classes. So the robot is designed to basically understand what that facial emotions are while interacting with the users. Fascinating. So is he learning as he's watching, or do you have to keep training him yourself? So that is one of the, the kind of future direction we're going to. So it starts with the initially trained kind of machine, then if you can add more and more data, then the actual training algorithm can be further improving as well. So we can actually make the robots to better perform as time goes. So as they perform, they could be getting smarter? So currently it's, so the learning part is done once. Okay. And then, then it can real time detect how, and then that is all based on whatever that learned previously. But Currently, the real-time learning is not embedded, but it is doable. Okay, yeah. interesting. So we're talking machine learning. Mm -hmm. We're talking artificial intelligence. Exactly. Oh, my. Um, what do you see these social robots doing for us? So many people actually, when I, so when I started working in social robots, I have received a lot of questions of like, are these robots replacing humans or what are they mm. for? And then why do you need the robots for, for doing what? You need humans to, to help each other. That's completely true. But there are like a specific areas that these kind of robots can bring great benefits, in particular for those people living alone who are, high, who are at high risk of depression. Who's going to watch them and then see if there is any signs of depression or other health conditions? And also, in addition to that one, the robots can actually serve a very practical roles, providing assistance and service, basically interacting with the human users while providing the, like, you know, for instance, medical, medication alert, instead mm. of having your cell phone giving an alarm saying that it's time to take the pill, the robots might be able to bring you the correct pill with a glass of water, potentially, and then actually watch you actually taking the pill. So robots are the machines with the actual intelligence and actions. So that is a very unique form of the, the integrated technology that can help humans in a different aspect than your smartphones or other types of machines. Oh my, is this being done anywhere? Is any other culture using robots like this? I think in Asian uh, like you know, culture, it's pretty more more like acceptable to those kind of technologies. In particular, in Japan or Korea, we grew up with robots, okay. and then and many of those older seniors, they are already exposed to that kind of culture from the cartoons and the robots and the toys and those things. More open to to those kind of robotic cultures. In particular, in in Japan, there are many types of socially assistive robots being implemented in elder care facilities for helping those like seniors really? throughout the daily activities. Are they doing and doing those tasks you were talking about? I'm not familiar, so I cannot tell exactly what kind of applications they are using it for, but what they're doing, so how to say? So they are using, for example, there is a robot that looks like a baby seal. 
so that okay. that the seniors can actually hug. Oh. So it gives some comfort and then uh, and socially interact with with the robot. So basically okay. providing like you know increased social activities. Okay. And most of the research that involved social robots and then user validations many of them are conducted in Japan and in Korea, not too many in the Western countries yet. Okay, okay, sure, I've seen the movies. Well, and we should point out that Woody is, is a friendly-looking guy, mm-hmm. right? It's a, a small brown robot. You, you could see him on our website. Mm-hmm. He's got a mustache. Yep. So, I mean, you were obviously thinking of this for mm-hmm. him to be a little bit cuddly, mm-hmm. but he's still a robot. It is. Okay. Yep. Um, are we worried about the ethical implications here? I don't know. It sounds like he might be doing something with my mom I should be doing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, ethical aspects is something that everybody has to think about. Like all the engineers, users, it's not something, you know, one person can embed ethical features into the robots and then the robot will be always used in an ethical way. Okay. It's kind of, you know, it's something that everybody has to kind of, we will have to work together as a society, what is the ethical use of robots or uh, any other types of artificial intelligence. So it's something that, you know, I think it's also related to how you can educate the, the students and future engineers as well, and also how you can educate the, the potential users. So we are going to be on the all on the same page of what is the purpose of these kind of technologies and then how we can use it and then how we can make it beneficial and helpful and positive impact for our society. Okay, so you've, you've thought about this. And um, I read where you also see um, these, where you think these robots could be useful with children with disabilities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For So example. we actually initially started working on these kind of projects for potential use for young children who have autism spectrum disorders because many research um, researchers found that those uh, children who often interact with non-humans better than the actual humans. So if you have a robot that can actually, you can program the robot to be less social, a little bit more social, and then even more social. So you can actually make the robot to be personalized for the child's oh. social status. So you can advance over time. So that was the, the one of the concepts that we started working on it although we haven't actually tested the robots for that t- particular um, population yet. Okay, okay. So, Kiju, how do you build a robot like this? Um, how do you build a robot that can read our emotions? How do you start? I assume you start with the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think it's it's two components. You, you have a hardware and then software. So when you build a robot, so one of the kind of common theme in my lab is let's build a robot that, is affordable. So okay. Of course, we don't have million dollars to build really fancy robots. We do not have the capability of making that that kind of commercial product in the research lab. We're a college campus. Exactly. And also, we want to build something that, you know, anybody can build with uh, like openly shared design and uh. they can actually use it for learning as well as kind of um, clinical or educational or research purposes. So we try to build the robots that can be, um, that can be relatively at low cost and low complexity 
while it has capability to expand further in terms of its capabilities in the algorithms. So first of all, we build robots with its um, microprocessor that only has a capability to process certain amount of information and the data. So it's not sufficient for learning very high level kind of machine learning algorithms, for example, facial emotion recognition. So for our idea is basically having the robots with its own uh, autonomy, but relatively limited, but it Why has a wireless. So the thing is, if you want to have the robot with really high functioning computer, now it adds the actual ah, cost, okay, and it becomes less affordable. Okay, you're thinking affordability here. Exactly. So we want to build the robot itself relatively low cost and but fully embedded. But if we want to add more capabilities or more machine learning or computing capabilities, the robot is equipped with a wireless communication module. So it can communicate through the cloud computing or through local networked kind of, you know, higher computing capabilities. So not necessarily having individual robots having those brains, but having multiple less autonomous robots connected to a brain that the brain can do the heavy kind of computing for all of them individually. Okay. So now now we're getting into the software end of it. Exactly. Hmm. So we're here in Sears ThinkBox. Um, what equipment, what resources here uh, help you to build robots? So we use, for for example, for Woody, we, it's, we call it Woody because it's made out of plywood. So everything starts with the 2D sheets of plywood, and then the design pattern is cut using a laser cutter, okay. which, which we have a full access in ThinkBox. Then basically entire internal and outer structure is built by using these cut wood pieces. So the interesting part is that that entire design, initial design of Woody was designed by an undergraduate student in mechanical and aerospace engineering. So he came oh, awesome. to our lab and to volunteer as a research assistant. And then we were brainstorming to design the next generation of this social robots. And then he said, I have experience with this plywood and then cutting uh, different patterns that can make the curve, which we typically do not make the curved shapes using wood. So that he actually, so we, Alex Brent. Ah, give him some he, credit. Mm -hmm, so he started actually designing everything into 2D wood pieces and then putting them to, together to make this kind of cute looking woody. So with and after he designed that initial like first Woody, then some other students, including Daniel and two uh, high school students, came together to the lab over I think two summers ago, and then they built two Woodies more. So we currently have three Woodies. Oh, there's three of them out there. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, wow, plywood. Mm -hmm. um, cutting it right here in ThinkBox. I, I see you're really sticking with that simple, affordable theme. Mm -hmm. Where's the um, where does the technology go? So the technology is going to make it. Uh, I would say, like in terms of the hardware design, it can always make it more. Um, how to say the design can improve better to be more appealing and attractive, and then more interactive. We can also add additional safety features and and additional kind of design components that will make it. Um, better or more effective for social interactions. Okay. In terms of the software, it's continuously evolving over time with advancements made outside my lab 
inside my lab. So all are merging together to make it more effective and efficient computations and wireless communications that will make this technology to advance further so that can be used for various applications including like a classrooms or continuing care retirement communities mm. or various research applications. And is, is Woody wearing this software? Does he have a brain or is, do you run him remotely? It has small brain <laughs> and remotely connected to a bigger brain. Oh, okay. <laughs> got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but this would work for a person at their home. Mm-hmm. He'd be programmed to exactly. know how to operate yep. in that setting. Mm-hmm. That small brain will, will serve as a coordinator. So that will connect to a cloud server or or another locally connected servers to bring out the whatever functionalities that needs to run in real time. Okay, okay. Um, so, Kiju, I know that researchers have a lot of sources of inspiration for their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up doing origami. The paper folding art that's popular in Asia. Mm-hmm. Talk about how origami has inspired your robots. So that's a kind of interesting story. I loved paper folding when I was young. I have very delicate hands. I can fold whatever origami designs I could find from the books. And I forgot about it after I grew up. I haven't done it for many, many, many years. And then I had my son... And he started kind of making simple, like, you know, origami boats and airplanes and those things. And then from that point, it came back to me. And then think about, like, you know, how those surfaces of papers and how they can generate certain types of motions through crease patterns and different foldings and different designs. So that has inspired me to think about whether there exists, like, you know, very unique designs that we can use for robots. And I'm not an origami like artist who designs mm-hmm. my own designs. So okay. I started just searching on Google with one of my undergraduate students at that time, that Evan. And we were sitting down and searching for further designs. We came across this design called the Twisted Tower, which ah. generates very specific motions of like it can generate a linear contraction and extension. That's kind of famous in origami, the Twisted Tower. Yeah, that is something that you can search on Google and you can follow the instructions. You can build your own towers that can generate different types of kinematic motions. Okay. So that can twist and then that can generate bending. So that is something that none of the rigid body-based traditional robots can do. Ah. So that struck us to kind of, you know, this can be a great like a mechanism that if we embed some autonomous like actuation and sensing into it. So that's how we started actually folding the papers, creating the twisted tower. We In different scales, we've made uh, the holes throughout the structure, connected the wire, connected to the motor, and then made it move. So that actually made a really uh, good presentation at one of the largest robotics conferences. So we, our robots were featured uh, at the IEEE Spectrum. They kind of, you know, highlight some of those work from that co- that conference. Nice. Many people came to us and then talking about like how you can create the, like a paper folded robots. So that's how we started working on that project as a just like a pure fun hobby project okay after we returned from the conference we found this robot has a great potential so when you build this like a twisted towers 
as the fingers of the robot, then without adding very highly um, high resolution sensors to allow fragile object manipulation or irregular shape manipulations, you can do it because of these fingers are flexible and they can deform around whatever object it, it is grasping. So it has a great potential for various applications not necessarily requiring highly complex control algorithms and sensing mechanisms. It can do it through the structural deformation that is enabled by the actual origami structures. ThinkBox Radio is brought to you by the Case Alumni Association, which represents the engineering, science, and math graduates of Case Western Reserve University. We're the oldest independent alumni association of engineering and applied science graduates in America. Have you heard of us? If not, you've heard of our graduates. Case grads include Henry Dow, the founder of Dow Chemical, Frank Rudy, the inventor of Nike Aerosol, Paul Buchheit, the creator of Gmail, and Jeanette Griselli-Brown, the first female director of corporate research at BP America. At Case, we're proud of our spirit of discovery and innovation, which is why we support ThinkBox, the world-class innovation center at the Case School of Engineering. So you were just having fun, mm -hmm. and then you realized that these origami-inspired structures are flexible. Mm -hmm. They can grasp things mm -hmm. without crushing things. Exactly. Without having to give them all this data on how to grip it. Exactly. Interesting. So what can you do with these origami-inspired robots? So that's the interesting thing is that, you know, you cannot... So it has it showed great potential, but the problem is you cannot have, you know, people sitting down and folding papers to make a robots and paper folded robots made out of paper, mm. which is not durable. And depending on who folded, the design is like, you know, really nice versus very crude. So at that point, we started thinking about actually converting this one into something that is manufacturable. That's how we started looking into the 3D printing of the origami structures. So rather than basically like, you know, thinking about how you fold a 2D paper into a 3D shape, we want to take like whatever 3D structure as the folded form and then convert into the 3D printable CAD model then just directly input to the machine and machine will do the, the work. So it's like really minimal human intervention in the manufacturing process. The design itself becomes even now much more diverse because we can engineer the design to have various, uh, uh, various geometry and different structures that can add the scalability. And then uh, kinematic workspace can be designed as we desire. So you're machining origami with mm -hmm. 3D printers. Exactly. Cool. Mm -hmm. Is it still paper? No. Okay. So it uses polymer composites. Uh -huh. So we use a specific uh, 3D printer here in ThinkBox that uses the polyjet technologies that can print more than two, two or more different types of polymer composite materials with different flexibilities. Mm. So because when you think about the origami structures, that there are surfaces that remains mostly rigid, but those bending and deformation happens at the creases. So those areas should be printed using soft materials so that you can actually bend those creases. Of course. So that's why we used that, that polyjet machine to print our structure. Oh. Okay. So what are we going to do with these origami-inspired robots? So we are very much interested in two extreme examples. So we want to make it really small that can go inside human bodies. So that can actually be used for minimally invasive surgical tools that as an additional degree of freedom compared to the existing, existing robotic tools. 
And we are also interested in making really big, which is also, it's, it cannot be done sometime very soon because that also is limited by the size we can print using these polyjet machines or we have to also work on different types of materials. But our, our goal is to make it really big for space robotic applications. So whatever you want to send to the space, the volume and the weight are two critical components because you have to ship it. So then, so when you think about those origami-inspired structures, many of them are flat-foldable. That means you can actually shrink down the, the, the volume of the robot significantly. Sure. And also the weight is extremely much, much lighter compared to rigid-body robots and robotic arms when you see it used in the space robotics and the spacecraft applications. Sure. So it would unfold to become what? To do what? To do a, a lot of like various manipulative tasks, it can be used for like you know the repair of the spacecraft, or if it is used on the ground rovers, it could be used as a robotic arm so that can collect the samples okay. and analyze. Oh my the, gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, um, Kiju, your stuff is cutting edge, but but we want listeners to know that that you're testing it out and mm-hmm. you actually have. Um, some interesting partners. I'm thinking of Ohio Living Breckenridge Village. This is a senior home mm-hmm. in the Cleveland suburbs. And last fall was the official opening of their Smart Living Lab. Yep. And do I have that right? That's kind of a real-time testing center for robotics devices? I would say it's more than a testing center. Uh-huh. So this we what we envision is to have the Smart Living Lab serve as a hub that can bring researchers, students, senior residents and potentially industry together to establish this like you know the mechanism that can address the user centered design approaches in the product development as well as the research process so in many cases like you know modern technologies have done a great work to reduce the healthcare cost and also like improving the quality of care as a whole but many of those existing product even those you know the the smart uh, watches that can detect your step count those things it doesn't work for seniors who uses canes or who has a different pace of walking. So we want to have this, you know, this research hub there. So basically to, uh, to bring residents together at the early stage of development and then hear from them what are their needs and then what are the specific like issues you might have we want to address by using the technologies so that we can actually design the technologies that meets their needs and then that addresses the physical and cognitive declines they they are encountering can you give an example of something you learned there so one of the thing is that so we basically brought Woody for the grand opening ceremony. Okay. And Did many they like of, him? Many of them think it's very cute. Okay. We also brought Woody a little bit earlier than that opening ceremony, and then one of the gentlemen mentioned that he doesn't want to see any of those motors and wires exposed. So that oh. was also a good thing to okay. learn as well. So what we want to do is like, you know, having this technology introduced by a group of people and then hear from them freely to uh, to stimulate the discussions and what kind of you know improvement we can make so that that can be addressed to the next generation of Woody. Okay. And throughout the development, not only about the design, the functionalities, what kind of functions they expect from such kind of technologies. So they want the medication control, or they want Woody to read newsletters or other types of things. So read read can newsletter or can Woody read? Basically, can read the online articles by saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's not gonna read the actual newspaper. It could. There okay. exist algorithms to do okay, that. Okay, we're not that far yet. Gotcha. Yeah. Woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, interesting. So yeah. they don't want to see the motors and wires. They want to keep the illusion. Although I don't want to see the motors and wires to my car either, right? You exactly. Just want the, uh, That's true. You just want the vehicle. Yeah, even if we are sure that those are not going to cause any kind of harm or other things, but it might cause concerns of those people who may not see those things yes. every day. Um, how much time do you spend out there? I imagine that's a great learning center mm-hmm. for you and your team. So if we have a specific test or evaluation ongoing, we go there and spend the whole day and then like several days a week. Sometimes when we are doing more of like, you know, in the lab development phase, we do not necessarily go there as often. But during the actual evaluation process, we go there like, you know, every once or twice a week or so like that. Okay. And Kiju, I know you don't work alone. In fact, I always see you surrounded by students and colleagues here Mm -hmm. on campus. Tell us a little bit about your robotics lab here in the Glennon building. Mm -hmm. So I have a great group of students who have motivation and talent. And I have a group of students working on on Woody project as well as the, the origami inspired robot. So there's different teams for yeah. different robots. So basically like you know uh, two or three students working on a specific project. And would they all be majoring in engineering I assume? Yeah, all of them are in mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. That's great. So mm-hmm. they must um I bet they really vie to get on your team. Mm-hmm. So most of the this technical work are done by my students. I would say I give all the credit to my students. Oh, gosh. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Good for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiju, this has been fascinating. And um, as you know, we like to end every episode of ThinkBox Radio with a maker tip. Mm-hmm. Is there a handy piece of advice you have for other robot builders, maybe a machine here at ThinkBox or a technique you find especially useful? So I can share a tip um, about 3D printer. Not many people have used polyjet printers. So it was for us too, it was first time because of the needs by the twister mechanism that cannot be fabricated by using any other types of machines. We get to use that uh, polyjet machine for printing our origami uh, structure. So if so, that actually expands a lot of the design perspectives because that can print the soft and rigid materials together, and moving away from those like hinges connecting rigid parts together, you can actually create everything as a single component that has a flexible hinges with the rigid rigid bodies together. So I think that would be a great opportunity for you to explore different types of designs, all in one mm. that has like that combines those traditional mechanical components into a, a single like integrated structure on that polyjet printer yep awesome okay thanks for sharing that mm-hmm. all right and that concludes another episode of Thinkbox radio stories from america's coolest college innovation center i'm robert smith your host our producer is alex zinni thanks and remember our motto at case western reserve is think beyond the possible mm-hmm.